The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Community Shield. We ask, is Man City Arsenal the real thing or just footballing methadone? We salute the actual heroines in a knockout Women's World Cup. There's curtain up on the Football League, curtain down on Buffon. Plus, we hear why Bill don't want Kane and why Nkunku is not this year's Timo Werner. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Thursday the 3rd of August, by my reckoning. And listen, I'm joined by you and Jack Lang. Hello, Jack. Good morning, James. Good morning. Also, Matt Davis-Adams with us. Hello, James. Hello to you, Matt. You're recording this podcast having not slept after commentating on Chelsea against Dortmund until 4am, you crazy guy. Yeah, pinched a couple of hours, but just the opportunity to, to sit with the, the double act that's so dominated the karaoke at the uh, end of season totally do was oh, too now. much to pass up yeah right uh, who was your partner on the Chelsea Dortmund uh, it was Sam Parkin last oh, yeah. night my nice. friend from what the AFL what yeah and yeah I, I would imagine we're both a little bleary eyed today but he's got to look after two small children mm. and I've got to look after you two you look remarkably listening you were thinking the same thing we were sure oh where's Raphael Honigstein well he's got a cold or he's bunking off so he can watch Germany play South Korea in the Women's World Cup, more likely. But we should be speaking to him in between his hacking and, and all that sort of stuff later on. Uh, many questions to ask him. Jack, you've been following the Women's World Cup, haven't you? Yeah, I have, yeah. Nice. Some spectacular, uh, spectacular games. I mean, yeah, yesterday alone was one of the best days of, of big tournament football I've ever seen, I think, with uh, South Africa clawing their way through to the knockout phases. And then Brazil, Jamaica, Yeah, um, you know, nil-nil draws aren't always exciting, but this was, uh, yeah, kind of desperate stuff from Brazil, Jamaica celebrating wildly. And it's been, yeah, fantastic couple of weeks so far. That Panama free kick, Marta Cox. Marta, yeah, at least wow. one Marta scored yesterday. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. Superb goal. Marta frente al eférico. Atención que va a venir el disparo. Sunday, it's the first official top flight action of the season, the Community Shield. Woo. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Right, Community Shield, we just had a little debate, a listener, about whether this is actually official top flight action, Jack. I mean, it's official in the sense that it's got a proper name that has capital letters and... You get a trophy. But uh, come on, it's not... I don't, Isn't it? I don't count as a trophy. But no. it's a hugely significant game. For example, last season, you remember Liverpool beat City, which enabled us to confidently predict that Liverpool would be the team. Oh, and also that Darwin Nunes was the big signing rather than whoever that Norwegian fella that Man City You're talking yourself out of it being very significant <laughs> there, surely. All right, what, what um, wildly misplaced conclusions are we going to be drawing, do you think, Matt, after Sunday's game? Oh. I don't know. Um, last season's was played at Leicester, wasn't it? That was weird. I can't, was I can't it? quite remember why. Yeah, it was played at the King Power. Huh. Maybe the, were the women's Euros still going on and that's why it wasn't at Wembley? I'm not sure. But uh, in terms of this Sunday's, it's hard to get hype for it, really, isn't it? Isn't, the it? Community Shield. isn't it a bit like you're in, you're in the desert and it's a cup of warm spit? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, but it is warm spit still, and it's not a full. I cup. don't know. It's the, is it not also an early clash of the two teams who made last season's title race so exciting? Have Arsenal closed the capital with all this incredible outlay they've made? Yeah, possibly. But I mean, when you when you're into the game, is is this an official game or not? That, that's quite instructive, I think. What what is interesting is that these two teams, obviously one and two last season, are the two in the Premier League who've got their transfer business done and seem to have done. Hmm. for some time so it's not going to be one of those where we're watching a game and saying well this isn't what it's going to look like when the season kicks off this right. should be their two best teams starting the match you would think one or two absentees uh, Kevin De Bruyne is a major doubt for City after well he's still dealing with the after effects of the hamstring from the Champions League final Gabriel Jesus has had uh, air quotes a little procedure on his knee and will be out and I think Bukayo Saka is not available as well, not have City actually tied up all their transfer business? There's still the ongoing question about Guardiola. No? I think that's moving closer, as far as I know. Right. Uh, I think it seems to be a matter of time. And then there's, I mean, there's still a question of whether they do go out and sign another uh, winger or midfielder. They don't seem particularly, uh, you know, stressed about it at mm. the moment. But having lost Mares and Gundogan, obviously they've got a bit of. Um, they've got versatility in the squad in that Bernardo and Foden can both play uh, centrally and wide. There's, there's talk. I mean, I'm, I'm getting this purely from Sam Lee, our Man City correspondent, but there's talk of Rico Lewis kind of being retooled as a, an attacking midfielder. So, yeah, look, I don't think they're going to be um, desperately signing anyone on the market, but I think if the right player comes along, you know, there's, there's been talk of Olise. Um, yeah. The fact that he's injured probably isn't helping that. But yeah, uh, they, as Matt says, they get their business done very early. A couple of teams we're going to be talking about later in this pod haven't really followed suit. But it's it just must be very reassuring for the players, for the manager to know roughly, you know, even though they've lost players, that they know what they're going to look like. But Sam Lee, I think it was suggesting that, and a lot of people agree, that City look a bit light. One of the early bits of business they did was bringing in Mateo Kovacic from... Chelsea. Do you think they're a step or two down on last season, Matt? I mean, potentially, yeah. But Jack makes the point about Rico Lewis. I saw him come on at half-time at Stamford Bridge last season, 18, left-back, playing central midfield and, and totally changed the game. So, you know, as light as they can be, you know that there's a crop of players underneath who'll be able to step in. Um, I'm interested in, in Kovacic because he sort of looked like he down tools a little bit for Chelsea last season um, he's had, had a lot of injuries as well of late it's been a long time since he's, he's started more than half the league games for anybody in a season so yeah, I'm really fascinated to see how he does there whether he's I mean you'd assume he would be motivated to play for the best team in Europe if not the world but whether he's going to be a regular starter um, throughout the season I'm not sure OK are you fascinated by how Kai Havertz is going to get on at Arsenal yeah, very much so. Um, it's interesting, again, we talk about them getting the business done early. I think Arsenal paid a premium for that with Rice and with Havertz. Uh, straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from mm. The Athletic. We recorded our first one of those this week. And Liam Toomey made the point that it was kind of curious that Arsenal paid the money that they did for Havertz because they weren't bidding against anybody for him. You know, it, it, They were the only team going for him and they paid £65 million. They're saying they're going to play him as an attacking midfielder which would be his preferred position but it's a lot of money for a player who's flattered to deceive for his time in the Premier League so far so that's going to be interesting to see and, and also if with this Jesus injury if that means that Flo Balogun gets a game for right. Arsenal or, or whether you know he's more interested in, in moving on than being a part of 
you know, a fringe player for Arsenal this season. Mm. Remember Jesus getting injured for a spell last season and that's when the Gunners really took off, no? So, broadly speaking, Jack, mm. for, the, for the title race ahead, these two teams were duelling for the title last mm-hmm. time around. City haven't really got better, but Arsenal, I think, by any measure, have. Yeah, I, th- I foresee Arsenal mounting a decent title challenge. I mean, part of what they struggled with last season was depth. They've added depth. My only question mark would be, I mean, I, I think Granite Xhaka is a bigger loss than than many people might think. Just there's been talk of Havertz slotting into that position in a midfield three, but that does change the dynamic slightly. I mean, Xhaka isn't a defensively minded player um, all the time, but he's more of an all-rounder than Havertz is, I think. I, I wouldn't want to see Havertz kind of in that box-to-box role all the time. I'm sure he can do it sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think Shaka perhaps a bigger loss than many people think. But having said that, I mean, Rice can probably do a lot of that himself this mm. season. That's a, that's a real game-changer for them. And, and Timber at the back, I think he's a really interesting player. I love defenders who can dribble out, kind of take a risk. Tell us about Timber, Jack. He just seems like a very kind of multi-skilled, versatile. He can play right back, can play centre-half. I'm not sure if he's going to be a starter. I mean, he may be competing with Ben White. He may just be there. So, you know, a different defender every few weeks can have a rest, just more of a rotation because uh, Arsenal really suffered when they had defensive injuries last year. Rob Holding was was not a top-level replacement. But, yeah, Timber is someone who is just really good on the ball, confident, likes to kind of make little darts out of the back line, commit players, and mm. that kind of has a domino effect creating space further down the line. So I think he's really suited to the way Arsenal play. Um, And yeah, I I think I'm really excited to see what they can do this season because uh, I think they played some of the best football last season. I think at their best, to my taste, they they probably played the best football in the league and I would like to see them continue that. All right. Starting from four o'clock on Sunday. Woof. Matt, Chelsea Dortmund. Mm. Was it just a crazy midnight dream? We'll talk about that next. Hi, Iowa Kimolera here, host of the Athletic Football Podcast. Check out our latest episode as we dive into Manchester City's move for RB Leipzig's Josko Gvardiol. Debate the level of intelligence needed to play for Pep Guardiola, as well as what the move means for the rest of the Premier League. Available on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Just search the Athletic Football Podcast now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. From Ludwig, they haven't got it away. Fernandez, and then loops in for 1 1 by Mason Burstow. What a moment for the 19 year old. And with just a couple of minutes remaining, 
Chelsea do get the equaliser. All right, Matt. So Chelsea Dortmund. Where was this game taking place? It was at Soldier Field nice. in Chicago, or, oh. or Sandy Field, or Potato Field. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, not a good playing surface. Yeah, at all, which is so. one of your your pre-season cliches to, uh, checklist, isn't it? Yeah, but how bad was it? Because uh, Christopher Nkunku certainly picked up some sort of knee injury. Yeah, you? I'm not sure whether that was due to the pitch. It was um, in a collision with, with Maya, the, the Dortmund keeper, um, oh. and he seemed to jar his knee. But, I mean, I don't want to say whether it's serious or not, but it was one of those where, right, pre-season, let's just get him off straight away. But he was he was walking you know, without the aid of crutches at the end of the game, so I guess that's a good thing, but... the you know, the problems that Chelsea have had with knee injuries, uh, it is cause for concern and, and particularly because Nkunku's been really impressive in pre-season and he's played pretty much everywhere across the front line and looked really effective wherever he's been. So it would be a shame if he wasn't able to start the season. Although, having said that, Mikhailo Mudrik came on hmm. in his place and was excellent and he's another who's looked much, much better in pre-season. When you're saying in his place, what position has he been playing? Uh, so he was left of the three who were behind Nicholas Jackson, who's okay. been one of the other big revelations. Of, of pre-season for Chelsea which has gone certainly on the pitch swimmingly you'd have to say right mm. last season they were very much shenanigans FC what mm. kind of campaign are you anticipating this time much much better uh, it's, a, it's a big leap to go from 12th to top 4 but I think the fact they don't have any European football puts them in a great position to do that if they can get Caicedo or another holding midfielder which um, they definitely need uh, I'm really excited by Jackson he, he looks Superb. I don't know whether he's just continuing that ludicrous hot streak that he went on last season, but his hold-up play is sensational. He's strong, he's quick, he can finish. Uh, so that could be the player that Chelsea have really been crying out for. And, and then you've got people like Ian Matson, you know, who's got in the championship team of the season last season. Great, as left-back. He hasn't played a minute at left-back for Chelsea in pre-season. He's been playing in midfield. He's looked excellent as well. Uh, and Levi Colwell. Superb alongside Thiago Silva uh, in the game against Dortmund and having just signed a new contract. So things are looking pretty rosy. And, and you're already seeing a, a kind of Pochettino shape to the team. Totally, yeah. 4-2-3-1. Uh, they went to 3-4-3 for the second half against Wrexham, but other than that, it's pretty much been 4-2-3-1 the whole way through. And, and that is a massive benefit, certainly to those who were there last season who didn't know what they were doing for most, most of the time under, under Graham Potter and then Frank Lampard. But yeah, Pochettino's a, a serious manager, isn't he? And mm. Obviously, um, Chelsea seem to want Caicedo to, to partner with Enzo Fernandez. Do you think we're going to see much of Andre Santos and, and Cesare Casade? Because they are obviously very promising players in that position. Um, yeah, do, we, do you think they're going to get some minutes? I think Santos is more likely to than Cassidy. I think Cassidy has been strongly linked with a loan to Leicester. Uh, he was at Reading for the for the back end of last season. He's He's got all the tools, Cassidy. Obviously brilliant for Italy at the, the um, Under-20 World Cup this summer, but maybe not quite ready for the Premier League. But yeah, Santos, and he's played a lot of football already, hasn't he, for a, for a 19-year-old. I think they really like the look of him, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him kept around, maybe as backup to, to Enzo plus one other because they are short in that area. Right. Chelsea, um, you're very much in your soothing <laughs> middle-of-the-night whisper yeah. mode, Matt. It's very pleasant. Uh, sorry, uh, Chelsea in for Moses Casado still and also bidding for Robert Sanchez, the keeper. Uh, FPL Banger podcast, amusing, ironically. Uh, surely Burley could have saved some cash if he had just bought Brighton outright. So yes. very true. If they get those two, Casado and Sanchez, that would make, Andy Naylor points out, 10 Brighton employees that Chelsea have 
picked up in less than a year. Yeah, quite a few of them are still there as well, uh, behind the scenes on, on the staff. Um, the Sanchez one is interesting, isn't it? Because obviously Deserby didn't fancy him at all. Uh, Chelsea kind of had two first choice keepers last season with, with Mendy as well. Sanchez will, will very obviously be the number two, I think, which means that you know Kepper again goes in as the first choice. You think Ooh. how long it's looked as though he's been on the way out, but he's looked decent in pre-season. But yeah, Sanchez fine as a backup keeper. Other than that, you've got Marcus Bettinelli or or some youngsters. So if you can get somebody with Premier League experience, that's fine. But again, Chelsea haven't got many games this season. They're not in Europe, so mm. Kepper's going to play the vast majority of them unless they go deep in the Cups and they drew Man City away in both domestic Cups in the first round they played in last season. So wow. maybe not if that happens again. Their opening Premier League fixture is at home to Liverpool, which yeah. should be interesting. Mm, yeah, they've got an interesting um, first six games or so. That Liverpool one looks tricky. Then they go to West Ham, but then they've got Luton and Forest at home and Bournemouth away. So mm. a, a reasonable opportunity to have a, a good start to the season. You'd think. Hey, it's been a really quiet summer from Forest. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a report uh, today that they're in a bit of trouble for, for not paying money owed to players and agents, so it might be about to liven up a little bit. Oh. Um, but yeah, Forrest desperately need, this will make you laugh, they desperately need to sign some players, James, if you can <laughs> believe that, because they've got an unbelievably unbalanced squad right. at the moment, um, which includes four right-backs, uh, two left-backs, one of whom, Omar Richards, hasn't played since he signed a year ago from Bayern Munich, and another one, Harry Toffolo, who's facing charges for historic uh, betting breaches so he's looking at a lengthy ban as well oh. uh, Brennan Johnson might be about to go right it's, yeah so, and they got beaten 5-0 by Wren on Wednesday night oh so. that's not good no not particularly uh, last season it was a bunch of players it was the, the bulk of the team that brought them up needed to be replaced because they were on loan what, why are they in the same situation again <sighs> I mean the players that they signed a lot of them have already been sort of turned over or, or deemed not reliable by the manager uh, you know your backup striker to, to Taiwo Awani who, who had a brilliant end to the season but but didn't play 90 minutes once for Forest and missed quite a lot of the campaign injured the backup for him is Chris Wood who mm. best days probably behind him and also had pretty serious injury problems last season uh, and yeah they just need reinforcements they've been without Felipe throughout pre-season he's been injured uh, central to, to Forest doing so well defensively at the end of last season. Morgan Gibbs-White's only just come back from the Euros. It's going to take him a little bit of time to to get back to fitness. And as I say, Brendan Johnson, injured at the moment and quite possibly, I'd say more likely to, to leave Forest than to stay now. So you're going to need to get somebody in for him. I don't know whether that was why they got Anthony Alanga. I think initially the plan was to have them both and just have that searing pace. But they've got horrible, horrible fixtures for us to start the season. Away from home, the first away games are Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea and Manchester City. So bear in mind they won one away game throughout last season. It puts a lot of pressure on, on their first home games, which are Sheffield United, Burnley, Brentford and Luton. So you've got the three new promoted yeah. teams. But Forrest lost to Fulham and Bournemouth at home in the early stages of last season. So... Supporting yeah. a team is a miserable business, mate. Yeah, I was just thinking this on the way in. It's a couple of months ago that Forest beat Arsenal 1-0 and I would put that easily in the top 10 days of my life. The closest thing I'll ever get to a, a spiritual religious experience being right. at the ground that day and now I'm full of worry again. That's, that's the beauty of supporting a, yeah. a lower-end team. Mm. All right. Uh, Raphael Honigstein, let's get him on the line to talk about that Nkunku fellow Ooh, and also any latest on Harry Kane. Raphael Honigstein joins us now. Rafa, how are you feeling? I'm feeling 
Uh, slightly under the weather, James. That's that's a shame. That's a shame. So many questions to ask you. Uh, first off, and speaking of under the weather, that Christopher Nkunku who picked up something of a knock to his knee on Wednesday night in the game with Dortmund. Broadly speaking, though, and fingers crossed that he's going to be okay and ready to play a big part for Chelsea. Um, he had a huge goal-scoring tally with RB Leipzig. Have Chelsea ever scored another RB Leipzig goal scorer recently, Timo Werner? Yeah, I, I got the reference, thanks. Um, Nkunku is a different uh, kettle of fish, I think, as I like to say in this country. A wonderful player, uh, super versatile, technically incredible does a lot of stuff on the ball that is just makes you going to sit up and think, wow. So if he's going to be fully fit and uh, perhaps have somebody to play off because he's not really a centre forward, he's more of a second striker. I think Chelsea have really got a fantastic player. Mm. Matt, you're excited. Yeah, very much so. Um, just his versatility as much as anything else, but his goal return last season was excellent. And he's barely broken sweat in the games that he's played so far. And like the, the Wrexham game where, where he first played, he came on at half-time, hardly touched the ball and then scored an excellently taken goal. And that's exactly the kind of thing that Chelsea have missed. Mm, indeed. If, if he's going to be uh, playing his trade, as I say, at Chelsea, who's going to be scoring goals in the Bundesliga? Could it be Tottenham's Harry Kane? Zu viel für den alten Nocken Kane. Not my words, Rafa, but those of August German Chronicle build saying 100 million is too much for the old bones of Harry Kane. Is that right? Have I, is my translation app? Yeah, the translation is, yeah. is correct. Yeah. Um, this was a column, it uh, should be said, an opinion piece by uh, a veteran uh, journalist who's perhaps no longer really... Um, directly involved uh, with Bayern and their plans gives him license to be slightly maverick I think it's fair to say this is not a mainstream opinion Okay. Uh, both at the club or in, in Germany as a whole I think they're hugely excited about the possibility of Harry Kane arriving uh, yes it's a lot of money for somebody who is 30 but um, Harry Kane is a, is a centre forward who has still got the best years ahead of him and Bayern desperately need somebody who scores goals in that role uh, we saw it last year. Things kind of fell apart without Lewandowski. And they feel that Kane, especially this year, is such a good opportunity that they can't pass this up. And I believe now that talks have gone and moved on to finances and you know there's a gap and you know what they want and you know where you stand, that we are in a position where an agreement is beginning to take shape as a possibility which is a lot more than I think could have been said for, let's say, two, three weeks ago when Bayern were really struggling to actually sit down with anyone at, at Spurs and get any answers, mm. whether they'd be even willing to listen to any offers. So I think that, that kind of progress and negotiations now actually going into numbers make Bayern confident that they can actually pull this off. What kind of probability are you giving it, Rafa? I was very negative until let's say 10 days ago, uh, I thought it was 50-50 at best, maybe 40-60 against Bayern. Now I feel it's more as a 75-25% chance. They've gone a long way down to making this happen. First finding an agreement with Harry Kane, which was very important, of course. But now actually having that dialogue, that uh, open route towards uh, Danny Levy is, is huge for Bayern. And I feel that, um, yeah, he's more likely to play now for Bayern than not. 
All right. Bye. And in the meantime, uh, Wednesday afternoon, uh, UK time with that uh, thrilling 4-3 a victory over Liverpool. So, you know, they're doing all right even without Harry. <laughs> they, they, look, they look pretty sharp. Um, defensively suspect at times. Uh, Min Jae Kim has looked, has looked really good, but um, needs perhaps a bit more time to settle in. And Tuchel hasn't really settled on a defensive partnership. He's played Pavard in the middle. He's played uh, De Ligt. He's played Upamecano. He's played Pavard as a right back. But uh, going forward, I think the fact that the, the wide forwards look really sharp. Uh, Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry had a really good game. Jamal Musiala is coming back to his best. Players look in a, in a different sort of headspace than they were towards the end of last season. And while they found it really hard to prepare while they're on tour in Asia, and Tuchel has been a little bit unhappy and has the players, the players have felt his unhappiness, I should say. Um, it hasn't been all plain sailing and it's been a little bit demanding. It, it looks as if they're, they'd be a lot sharper and a lot more happy to actually play football. At times last year, it looked as if nobody wanted to be there. And I think we could be looking at a very different season, especially if Harry Kane arrives, because he will completely change the mood around Munich and make everyone so happy uh, and look forward to the new season. All right. How many titles in a row is it now, bro? 11. 11 in a row. 11. The last one, by the closest of margins, by, after Dortmund blew up on the, on the final weekend. This time around, I imagine you're a bit more confident about Bayern given the potential arrivals and the fact that Dortmund have lost, well, Jude Bellingham for a start. Yeah, I think it's hard to foresee Bayern being quite as bad again, uh, with Tuchel having a full pre-season and making a few changes and getting players like he wants. Uh, of course, Kane changes everything because what Bayern realised, I think, is that Lewandowski just being there scoring goals basically meant that they didn't have to play football well all the time. They could just always rely on him somehow finding goals and you didn't have to work quite as hard creating chances through width, through movement, through little patterns. Uh, there's just a centre forward there and you just put a cross in and that's it. And I think he will make things just a lot easier for them. Kyle Walker is a player that Tuchel really wants. If he comes in and I think Bayern have more pace uh, on that right side, on the left they have Alfonso Davis, who also looked quite sharp in pre-season. So things are kind of coming together in a way. And... Dortmund, as you said, they've had, they will have to make do without Jude Bellingham going forward. But in an interesting way, I was speaking to Julian Brandt, and I'm sure you've read the interview, James. He seemed to say that despite this being a terrible defeat and sort of a sporting tragedy, the way that the Dortmund fans reacted and sort of united behind the team and celebrated them and sang their names and everything it felt as if this was one of those rare setbacks where actually a club and a team come closer together rather than splinter into different factions or blaming each other. So I think Dortmund will actually be pretty good again. Whether it's quite good enough to beat a Bayern side that will be much more back to what their regular output is, probably registering points in the high 80s rather than 71, I'm not so sure. Okay. Rafa, thank you so much for being with us. Go and get some honig uh, for that throat <laughs> of yours. And uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, James. Tweet slash post from Richard Jolly, who says, this will be the first football season since 1930, 1931, 
when none of Stanley Matthews, Peter Shilton or Gianluigi Buffon will be making a first-team appearance. This, following uh, this week's decision by the aforementioned Gigi Buffon to finally call time on his 28-year professional career. But that, that stat really puts it into perspective how he spanned eras of, of, of the game. You, are you fans, particularly Gigi Buffon? I mean, it takes me back to... Yeah, uh, you know the good old days. The good old uh, days, which I'm sure you. Well, were. I mean, yeah, the, I I had a, always a massive soft spot because he, he was so much fun. Mm. Did uh, you ever work with him? Ever? Well, we did, we would do. I mean, not post. I mean, we we would interview him sure. uh, for Parma or or, or Juve or, or Italy. But it so happened we were there the day that he made his debut for Parma, who at the time were a kind of title chasing team at the age of 17 against Milan who were at the time the uh, gold standard of, of, of football clubs and he he started at 17 kept clean sheet now Simone looking for where it's off Fernando Coto it goes where and Buffon was so brave so courageous and he may have hurt himself in the process but my word Palma are very indebted to their young goalkeeper this afternoon we were also there in Moscow when he made his debut for the Italian national side in that crucial World Cup qualifying playoff back in the days when uh, Italy actually made it to World Cups, which takes me takes me back a bit. Um, but yeah, just an unbelievable career. Never got to win a Champions League. Won pretty much everything else. Famously went down after winning the World Cup. Went down to the second division with Juve because he said it was one of the few things he'd never won. Juve were going down under something of a cloud, but he decided to stick with them. As did uh, Alex Piero, of course. So. Yeah, credit to them. It's funny because he is retiring, he is hanging up his boots, but it does feel like he's not been there for a bit unless you've been kind of following his trails with Palmer, trying to get them back to Serie A. But terrific bloke, a brilliant keeper as well. And yeah, just an all-round good guy. He was always always lovely, lovely fellow to encounter. Mm. 45, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? That he made it that far? Yeah, yeah. I know he's a goalkeeper, but you wonder if, uh, if that's going to be sort of more common now with players being fit more fitter and particularly although Dino Zoff back in the day I think he won the World Cup at 40 didn't he am I getting confused about that and the aforementioned Stanley Matthews went well, for a fair yeah. while too didn't he famous goalkeeper yeah <laughs> Chris Johnson says a final farewell to the wonderful city of the 90s and noughties that I and many others fell in love with it's not just retirement it's truly the end of an era well, indeed. I think, if you want to hear a bit more in-depth chat about Buffon, we must have done a Golazzo podcast on the great Gigi with Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle. Uh, Producer Charlie's telling me that was five years ago. But if you go to Golazzo and have a, have a plough through there, there'll be a whole episode full of us just kind of rubbing our knees and ooing and ahhing over Gigi Buffon. Nice. Here's another tweet. From Usman Salam, who says, Can Jack talk a bit about the profile of Andre? From what I've heard, he wouldn't be a like for like swap for number six, as a number six replacing Fabinho. So, how would he fit into Klopp's midfield? Uh, well, I think if he, if he does sign, that will be his position. So, this is a 22 year old midfielder for Fluminense, Andrea. Um, made his Brazil debut earlier this year. Very talented, uh, kind of a, a constructive player from that position not not so much a kind of physical destroyer though very good at winning the ball but really good passing range calm on the ball looks a really good player and I think interestingly for Liverpool he would be someone who I think would be ready because he's not you know a 17 18 year old who has who's barely played like a lot of 
Brazilians who are linked with clubs at the moment. He's had three seasons playing for a very good team in Fluminense. So, yeah, I mean, if Fabinho does go, I think I think he would be a, a decent addition. Uh, not the same kind of player as Fabinho, but, you know, given that Liverpool don't really have that many options deep in midfield, I think he'd be a decent pickup. What about this 19-year-old Matheus Franca from Flamengo, who Crystal Palace are eyeing up? Would that be a replacement for Olise if he then goes to Man City, as previously mentioned? Um, I mean, I've seen... I, I wrote about him on The Athletic a mm. few days ago. And in the comments, a lot of people are kind of excited about him maybe being a Wilf Zaha replacement. Okay. I think positionally and in terms of uh, his style of play, it's not a bad comparison. He's very explosive, two-footed, can play all across the front line and in, even in midfield. But contrast him to Andrea, Mateus Franza has not played that much football. He's only had 20 starts at senior level, very kind of raw compared to compared to Andre he's someone I think who would be a uh, a longer term bet and you know he has he has been described as you know the next wonder kid but I think the fee is quite instructive it's you know 25 30 million euros rather than um you know 40 to 50 so it would be a a wait and see maybe maybe a, a Zaha type figure in a few years time okay as well. all right uh, Matt the EFL returns this weekend Let's hear about that next. Hey there, Totally Listener. It's me, Tim Spears, and I'm here to tell you about the Daily Football Briefing. It's out every weekday telling you exactly what you need to know from the world of football from those who know the game best. Start each day with David Ornstein telling you why Arsenal are signing that player, or Liam Toomey explaining Chelsea's latest baffling move, or Rafa Hernigstein bringing the biggest Bundesliga antics. It's all there in under 15 minutes. The Daily Football Briefing, available now and every day from wherever you're listening to this podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash Totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. 
the EFL. The Football League has returned and what the EFL is already out with a season preview, courtesy of yourself, Matt Davis-Adams. Give us the gist. Yeah, you know, here we go again. Uh, that podcast will will uh, find Adrian Clark, Sam Parkin and myself having a look ahead to all three leagues. We're getting away Friday night, which is a night. very kind of 90s nostalgic fixture of Sheffield Wednesday versus Southampton. Ooh. Uh, two divisions between them last season, Yeah, of course. I, it's Sheffield Wednesday, who we all remember the incredible drama that they provided in the playoffs at the end of last season. Josh Windus diving header with, what, seconds of extra time mm. to play. Looking forward to seeing how, what they're going to come up with under Darren Moore after that amazing finale last mm. time around. What's no that? No more. Yeah, yeah, no more, I'm afraid. Uh, so he, there's a, there's a lot of conjecture, as there always is with these things, when a manager leaves in these kind of circumstances. The Sheffield Wednesday owner, uh, Defon Chansiri, says that Moore asked for four times his current salary to stay on, which seems... Highly unlikely, but there you go. That that's his view on it. I mean, I, it depends what his salary. Yeah, was. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm personally minded to think that actually this isn't a bad thing for Darren Moore or for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, we saw it with Sean Dyche, didn't we? When you leave Burnley, when, when you get the sympathy, I imagine Gary O'Neill will be in a similar position. Mm. Bear in mind, Darren Moore was relegated with Sheffield Wednesday from the Championship the last time that they were there, albeit he wasn't in charge for the full season. And Wednesday, have got Zisco Munoz, who's got out of this division. Before, so I actually think it it's, it's, might work out well for both parties. More will be up there when a championship job becomes available, probably after this weekend is usually the way. So it might work out fine for for both of them. Southampton, obviously interesting under Russell Martin now, and he said in his post-match press conference that James Ward-Prowse and Romeo Lavia will both be involved in Friday night's game, which is interesting really? in and of itself. Yeah, I always mm. think that's a massive risk if they're too close to target sell. for West Ham and, and, and Lamia for Liverpool, is that right? Yes, I think Chelsea were looking at Lavia as well. And right. Ward-Prowse, it seems to be that uh, the wages and the fee are prohibitive for teams at the moment. You know, he's 29 years old, isn't he? But Southampton going to be interesting to watch next season because Russell Martin, really nice kind of passing style of football, but you wonder if there's the penetration uh, to go with it, I would say they're probably the, the least best placed of the three relegated teams to come back up again. Uh, having seen Leeds play Forest last week, uh, they look okay, albeit you'd think they would have signed a few more players than they have done. Uh, Leicester, for me, look the favourites by quite a distance mm. to win the league, which is a bit of a shout given that you know Enzo Maresca, the new manager. Uh, he managed Palmer for a, a little bit, didn't he? Briefly, yeah, but not very 14 long. Fourteen games. Yeah, and I don't think it went particularly no. swimmingly. But a Pep Guardiola disciple, and, and you know, if you have Manchester City connections, you get Manchester City youngsters on loan. They got Callum Doyle, who was excellent for Coventry last season. That's who Leicester play. That's their derby uh, these days. Obviously, lost some key players, but Connor Cody and Harry Winks. Now, Harry Winks was in England squads not very long ago, so he's a very good pickup mm. for the Championship. So I'd expect them um, to be around about the top of the table for the majority okay. of the season. All three of the relegated sides under new management because Daniel Farker, who himself was binned by Borussia Mönchengladbach last season in the Bundesliga, is now in, in charge of, uh, at Ellen Road. Yeah, I'm never sure what to make of Daniel Farker because the, the last time he was in the Premier League with Norwich, they were awful, weren't they? But he's been promoted out of the Championship twice before. 
they've made a really good signing in Ethan Ampadu. I'm staggered that he hasn't gone to a Premier League club. He, he strolled his way through that game against Forrest at, at Burton last week. They brought in Carl Darlow as well, which maybe makes you think that Ilan Melier will be on his way out. It's also interesting to me that they've loaned out a lot of players' leads, which makes me think they think that they can come back at the first attempt and then call those players back when they get into the Premier League. But yeah, new ownership. Hmm. Isn't it sort of? I mean, they had a they had an investment in the club before anyway, didn't they? The Forty the ers enterprises it would have expected them to sign a couple more players, but there's still plenty of time for them to do that, I guess. Right. And speaking of NFL ownership, hmm. what's this we read today about seven-time Super Bowl winner Tom Brady? Yes, interesting. I mean, I know nothing about American football and have no interest in it, but I know who Tom Brady is, and I think that's kind of the point here. So Birmingham City taking over in, in the summer after chaotic ownership last season. They've kind of been circling the drain and looking as though they were heading for League One for the last few seasons. Uh, a, a US investment firm set up a new company called Shelby Holdings Limited to, mm. I presume, endear themselves to, to Birmingham City supporters. And lo and behold, this morning it's announced that, that Tom Brady's taken a, a minority share. But, I mean... I would imagine this is a nice bit of window dressing more than anything else. I can't imagine he's going to be too hands-on, although a positive start for him in saying Birmingham rather than Birmingham mm. in his introductory video. So Right. They stayed out of the hands of the receivers, which is exactly what he was famous <laughs> for doing or something I'll like that. I'll take your that. word for it. Mm. Uh, this time last year, your big prediction ahead of a new campaign was that Borough would get promoted under Chris Wilder. They, they almost did under Michael Carrick. Uh, what's your crystal ball saying this time around? Borough will be there or thereabouts as well. As I say, I think Leicester will win it. But the, the key for Borough is whether they can keep hold of Tuba Akpom, who was sensational for them last season. But he's only got a year left on his contract. And there has been interest from Premier League clubs. And, and they also had Cameron Archer on loan from Villa backing him up, uh, which they don't have uh, as of yet this season. But yeah, Michael Carrick looks like the real deal in, in terms of a manager. So yeah, you, you'd expect them of, of the non-relegated teams um, to threaten but also keep an eye out for Ipswich who've come up from League One uh, in, in thrilling fashion and, and in Kieran McKenna they've got one of the most highly rated young coaches around former uh, Man United coach who, who took them up in a really competitive League One last season means we get the old farm derby back of course nice as well Yeah, uh, but yeah Ipswich, Ipswich definitely one to watch in the champ and I don't know if you know this but Wrexham are in the football league this season hasn't Rexham. been given much coverage <laughs> um, particularly by the Athletic but yeah they're, they're amongst the favourites to win League 2 it, it or not, oh yeah. yeah they and Notts County the two promoted teams yeah. Um, so yeah there's there's lots to enjoy uh, all throughout the EFL from Friday onwards and if you're not able to get across all the games there's one handy place you can Keep up to date, isn't there, Matt? There sure is. What the EFL, out every Monday. Big mm. season preview out now. Go and give it a listen, please. Boom. Next up, Women's World Cup. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. As you know, you might have been following it on the Athletics Excellent Women's Football Podcast. The Women's World Cup is approaching the knockout stages. We've got some action today, which will determine the last few, last 16 fixtures. Joining us now on the line from Wellington is Michael Cox. All right, Michael. Hi, James. What time is it there for you, Michael? Uh, it is 10 p.m. in Wellington. Woof. Have you had a big day? Uh, no, it's been fairly quiet, actually. Slightly weird day, this, because there's only one group to be decided. And yeah, nothing until 10 p.m. is quite a quite a strange situation. That's the disadvantage of being in New Zealand, obviously, 
because all the games in Australia are, are two hours ahead of you. So it's a sensible kickoff time in Australia, but not so much in New Zealand. Right. You were over in Australia before heading across, what was it, this week or so? Yeah, I'm across here for uh, eight days. So, yeah, saw some fantastic group games and uh, Japan against Norway on Saturday night. Mm. It does feel that the as if the quality has been particularly high in, in this tournament so far. It, it's It's... From the word go, we've had big score lines, uh, fantastic goals. What, what have you What have you made of it? Yeah, it's been excellent. I think the there's almost been two different phases. I think the first phase, the games we expected to be really big victories for dominant sides actually didn't really materialise in general. I mean, the US only putting three past Vietnam, I think was quite significant considering, uh, considering they put 13 past Thailand four years ago. The flip side of that was a lot of these games, there weren't that many goals and not that much excitement. But I think the second and third round of matches, there's been some tremendous uh, contests, some some really good upsets, some surprise teams going through, some big sides going out. I'm always reluctant to be too positive about the tournament after the group stage because I think really it's all about the knockouts and that's what people remember in a couple of years' time. But yeah, so, so far it's been as good as... I think anyone could have possibly hoped for. Mm, the knockout's getting underway Saturday morning with Switzerland, Spain, and then Japan have been the revelations of this tournament so far up against Norway. Uh, Sunday, there's Netherlands against South Africa who knocked out Italy, or who were there when Italy knocked themselves out, perhaps. Sweden take on USA Sunday morning UK time in a huge game. Oh, and then Monday morning, there's England, Nigeria, and Australia, Denmark. Tuesday, we're still not sure exactly the lineup. Jamaica and France will be in there. Uh, Michael, what are you most looking forward to seeing as the knockouts get underway? I think two games stand out for me uh, before we know the confirmed Group H second round teams. The first is Japan-Norway, partly because that's the one I'm going to here in Wellington. But I think it's a really interesting contrast. Norway have got maybe the best front four in the competition on paper, but just haven't clicked at all as a unit. Um, whereas Japan are the opposite. They are you know, typically Japanese. They're very humble, very modest, very understated. Few real superstars, but they've played, I think, quite obviously the best football so far in this competition. And the other one is Sweden against USA, which has become a bit of a rivalry over the last 10 years or so. Um, there's quite a famous Swedish uh, win over the US in the 2016 Olympics when uh, goalkeeper Hope Solo famously called Sweden a bunch of cowards after the game. Um, And so that rivalry has kind of festered ever since. Um, Sweden also beat the US at the last Olympics. And the US really have struggled so far. I mean, 3-0 against Vietnam and then draws against Portugal and and Netherlands. So they really just haven't got going at all. Um, And Sweden, coming off uh, three wins from three games in their group, probably start as the favourites for that one. Okay, that is number one in the world. Uh, against number three in the world. Number one in Europe, meanwhile, are England, the reigning Euro champions, and they're taking on Nigeria on Monday morning. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, a funny tournament for England so far. Three wins from three, but the first two games they didn't really play particularly well. Obviously, the, the very convincing win against China came after a complete formation change, quite a big personnel change. I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether that was a plan specifically for China, who it must be said were really bad, very flat and boxy in a 4-4-2, um, or whether that continues against Nigeria. My instinct is that England played so well, she'll basically want to keep the same system. Um, but Nigeria have been 
pretty good so far. I mean, their performance in the second half against Australia, I think, was really impressive. And yeah, to uh, to get through that group was was not simple at all. So, I mean, a difficult game for England. But I think if we're being honest, it looked like a really difficult path to the final uh, for England when this draw was made. But suddenly, a couple of surprise results. They've avoided getting Australia in the second round, which seemed likely. They could end up playing Jamaica in the quarterfinals. Uh, with all due respect to Jamaica, who haven't conceded a goal so far, if you end up getting that in the quarterfinal, that would be a, a great situation. So despite a couple of setbacks, you know, the loss of Kira Walsh and just the bad first two performances, I think England suddenly are, are looking quite good to to have a good run in this competition. Mm. Jack, you saw the, the Jamaica game, which which saw them put Brazil out of this, uh, this tournament, ending Marta's uh, international career. Yeah, I mean, Jamaica... <laughs> they played their part in that they, they defend really well deep and they've got kind of they're able to spring forward in transition very well so they kind of um, they make it tough for opposition teams but Brazil were were wretched really um, Marta got her first start but they just I think they lacked physicality in attack which isn't good against a very strong Jamaica team and yeah I mean there's lots of questions being asked I'm going to be writing a piece later today on the the fallout from that game Brazil I think there's a sense that they came into the tournament with fairly low expectations relative to recent uh, big tournaments. So this isn't a kind of, you know, national tragedy situation. But I think the questions firstly will be over Pearson Tiger. She kind of was a bit slow to change things when they started going going badly. But also there's a little bit of a, a talent vacuum there. I've seen quite a few comments this morning uh, in the Brazilian press to the effect that yeah, we didn't click as a team, but we also don't have the kind of individual um, talent that historically has got Brazil's teams, masculine and feminine, out of a hole. Mm. You look across the squad and there's kind of, sure, there's a, a generational change, so some players do need time, but there's, there isn't a player who you would say is top five, ten talents in the competition. And I think that in itself will, will pose questions for the, you know, the structure in Brazil. Right. Jamaica, though, who, who are only at the World Cup thanks to a GoFundMe page, Michael. Is that right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that is true. I mean, to not concede a goal, considering they played against France and Brazil, is quite remarkable. And obviously the other game was against Panama. They had to get the win there. And they did that without Bunny Shaw, who's their striker, their captain, their best player by miles. So, yeah, it's been... Um, Really interesting story and quite a few familiar players uh, in the Jamaica side. They've actually got more London-born players than the England side have. How intriguing. How intriguing. All right, excellent. Well, enjoy uh, Japan against uh, Norway and whatever else you're up to this weekend, Michael. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Look forward to it. Thank you. Michael Cox. Matt. You're going to be tuning in for England-Nigeria on Monday. How, what, what have you made of them so far? I think England have done really well. As Michael said, You know, the, the first couple of performances weren't great, but it was about kind of readjusting with, without so many key players. But to get Lauren James and Lauren Hemp in the same team is, is an absolute joy and, and big for Alessia Russo to get her first goal. The, the way that Hemp and... Obviously, James is getting all the headlines and she's been brilliant, but the way that Hemp and Russo took their goals was, was so, so impressive. And yeah, it's, it's good to see... Serena Vigman mixing it up in terms of personnel and formation because I mean she didn't really need to in the Euros did she but it shows the depth that England have got even with so many key absentees Magnificent Alright well there's uh, regular updates on the World Cup on the Athletic 
women's football podcast every match day with Michelle Owen. So uh, check that out. Totally Football Show will return on Monday. We'll be all pumped after that Community Shield and we'll talk about other things too. Uh, for now, though, it's many, many thanks to Jack, to Matt, to producer Charlie, Rafa, Coxie, and you, listener. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you Monday, I hope. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.